Hello, my name is Dave Lewis, and I'm your host on today's episode of The Story, Irish America Magazine's bi-weekly podcast, where we explore the stories of what's happening and what's happened in the Irish community. In today's episode, I will be covering the life and legacy of New York GAA legend John Reardon, who sadly passed away on July 30th. Throughout this episode, you'll not only hear from those who passed their condolences onto his family in the New York GAA, but you'll also hear from the man himself, as I was able to take clips from his interview from the GAA's Oral History Project. Please join me in remembering this New York and Kerry GAA legend. John Reardon was born in the village of Liss Brandon in West Kerry in 1946, and was introduced very early on to the game and organization that would dominate the rest of his life, Gaelic football and the GAA. John was often brought to the family's parish club, Castle Gregory, and their matches by his father. Here in this clip, John recalls his very first GAA memory. What's the earliest GAA thing you can remember? Your earliest GAA memory? My earliest GAA memory was uh, back in Kerry. I'd say it was 1953 with Kerry and Arma, and uh, I was listening to the radio with my father, and the radio broke down on us and just Kelly and Arba in the final. The radio broke down, and I remember my, my father saying very well, there was uh, somebody else next to him with a pint of Guinness, and the guy smashed the pint of Guinness, because they had no other way in the world of knowing what was going on around them. And there were two fierce followers, and they were unable to go to Croke Bar because they simply didn't have the money to go there. That, I'd say that was probably my, my fattest back memory there, and my father was a fierce GAA man. Uh, not a great football himself, he played a bit of football, but he had a heart condition from a very young age. And uh, he, uh, he, uh, he, he would, but he, he did make sure that I followed the game after that. Unfortunately, the shared time between father, son, and their favorite sport was short-lived as John's father died when John was just nine years old. However, that didn't mean his passion died with him, as John still stuck with his father's favorite game and would participate in the GAA any way he could. I, uh, myself, was never much of a football at all because I, uh, I had a few accidents when I was small. I had a knee and, of course, I had a, a lung problem, and that, that prevented me from, from what I really wanted to do to play football. But uh, I got involved kind of behind the scenes then and the managing into which I suppose we wanted to do or the helping out of the water by whatever it was and I, I often said I would be maybe 10,000 times better if I stayed away from it but I, I really have no regrets you know I give an awful lot of time to football when I came to New York and uh, uh, I, uh, I, had, I had great times, I had great times. I often said you know that if I, uh, if I saved my money and worked all the hours that I gave to football and got paid for it I wouldn't be working at all today, I'd be multi-millionaire today. But, you know, I suppose each is own. I suppose people were great footballers, and when they were finished with it, they never put nothing back into it. And I was never a footballer, and I, I knew I had to put something into it, like you know, and I knew I had to put something back into the game. And I did, and I think you know I accomplished that, and uh, I think I was very happy to do it. And I came to New York, and I uh, I threw all my my lot in with it, the whole thing, and I came here. John stayed in Ireland until he was 17, and in the summer of 1964, came to New York City. And not even within a week, he was already involved with the New York GAA. Seventeen when I came here. And what year uh, was that? I, I was after 1964. And when I came here, I was uh, I was at the time I was you know you were we were green back in Kamira Kerry. I mean, today there is no such thing as a 17-year-old Kamira any part of Ireland 
at that time we had nothing to go to Dublin was there and you just barely made the train back in the evening if you were to and uh, there was no such thing as staying in hotels or any place else to stay up for the night after to celebrate or go to pubs or anything like that like there is today but uh, I was 17 when I came here and the first day I came in here right up there across as we're looking there was a man from back from a place called uh, Ballinaira in Kerry just a few miles behind Castlegregory uh, his name was Brendan Brick. At the time, he was the secretary of the New York GA here. He was the treasurer, I think, of the New York GA here. So I walked in the gate there on the 15th of August, 1964. It was a holy day in Ireland, big holy day in Ireland. And it was scorching, scorching hot. It was about 94, 95 degrees, and I had still had the big, heavy clothes on me from Ireland. Jesus. He said to me, he says, you've got to do an Empire Airline plan this game. And uh, I, I said, Brendan, no. I said, it's too hot for me. I'm going to die out there. No, I said, no. But he said yes, and he opened the small gate over there and left me in the sideline and gave me a flag. And I suppose that was, you can say, the good day or the bad day from there on. And what was what was Gaelic Park like when you came here first I in the 60s? Gaelic Park, I suppose, today I came into Gaelic Park here, it was the most disappointing thing that ever I saw in my life. Uh, I, I, I had known of Gaelic Park because uh, so much. Our next door neighbour was, uh, was uh, John Kelly O'Donnell, he was only down the road from us. He was the guy that owned Gaelic Park. And of course, uh, his son, Brendan, which was a great player, uh, played full forward for New York for many years. He carry in for New York. He won six or seven county uh, New York championships with New York. And he was an Irish American, so he was a tremendous player. And just because he was the neighbour home and John Kerry and Brendan, did, we took tremendous interest in Gaelic Park. But to come in here to Gaelic Park that time and to see it, it was absolutely, you know, I, I have to say it was a wreck, you know. And I, and I, I was great friends with the man, but. I suppose, you know, you'd have to say there were the times, I suppose, and the things that, but during the 60s it got very lean that time, you know, where there was thousands of people coming from Ireland, and uh, there was great crowds here. I remember the first Sunday uh, there was a championship game here was was uh, with Galway playing the National League in 1964, was it, Dublin? I'm not sure, I think it was Galway, I suppose, in 65. And up there on the hill that time, when, the, when you had uh, no, no wall up there in the whole place, that place used to be packed, crowded. And I remember being up there anyway, I had to go up there for something, I don't know what it was, no, I had to go up on the hill there to get something, I posed for the football or something that was going to stray up there, so I went trying to take it, and somebody just slipped and they took about 20 people down the hill with them, like on a slide there, you know. But Gaelic Park at that time was a field that was completely bare down to the middle, with stones coming up through it, and the sod was absolutely ridiculous there. In the summer time, it was not water regularly, it was completely burned out there. And the championships, there were so many teams here, we weren't able to play all the games. And the championships from one year were going to the next year, like the 19, 2009 championship would be played in 2010, 2008 would be played in 2009, and around June and July there, you know, and uh, it was it was ridiculous. And uh, But the only thing was, you had so many people there, because outside of football, it was a fantastic meeting place for everybody. And there was many the day we sat up there, which now those stands that's up there now, the old broken down stands that were there at the time. And uh, from my village alone, home and I, there would possibly be 30 people from a small little city up there in the stands. John Wren and Joe Moore and uh, Lee Moore and uh, Keo O'Donnell and Blanke Hoare and Lee Kennedy and all the crowd we all met up there. And it was our way at that time. Two years later, John began his journey within the New York GAA hierarchy as he became an elected official within the Exiles County Board. Throughout the years, John would be involved with the Brooklyn Shamrocks, St. Brendan's, and of course his beloved Cary Gaelic Football Club.
John would later be a representative for New York as he served as a delegate to the GAA Congress and was a member of the GAA Central Council. But the position that made him most proud was his election as chairman of the New York GAA in 2008. You're running for every office in the New York GAA, maybe with the exception of secretary, but I filled in for that a few times too. And my, uh, my course, my glory was when I reached the presidency and I became president in 19, 2008. 2008. So I was, I was very happy with that, but you know, it was uh, just something that I always figured that I earned it. You know, I, I worked my way up and I did my part here and I gave a lot of hours here. My only drawback was I lived in Brooklyn all my life. I came to Brooklyn, Bay Ridge in Brooklyn, that time to an and went there, and uh, it was an unbelievable journey to come by train or come by car from Bay Ridge in Brooklyn. I, for many years, myself and Timmy O'Day, the late Timmy O'Day, he was a Limerick man and lived out there. We were delegates here for Brooklyn Shamrocks and we'd come up to meetings uh, every Thursday night regularly here and one o'clock in the morning we'd be jumping in a train over here in Broadway and taking an hour and a half or two hours drive back to Brooklyn, you know, I'll uh, drive back to Brooklyn on the train and different places that we'd be walking home at two o'clock in the morning in, in neighbourhoods that time, you know, they were safe that time but uh, the next morning you had to get up for work at six o'clock so you had very little sleep there, God was a hardship, always a hardship. For, for traffic there, and that made it much more. If I lived up here in the Bronx, like in Woodlawn or Yonkers, mm. I'd have given thousands upon thousands more hours to the GA. Overall, overall, it's, uh, you know, there is an awful lot of uh, pleasure of, of meeting people that you were involved with down through the years, and that, uh, there was, that sometimes that there were rivals with them on the field and off the field, but I don't think I ever met any enemies, you know, and, and, and that's the good thing about GA. I was always able to put a win or a loss behind me once the game was over and uh, go inside and uh, put the boys and meet him on a place like that. The only good thing with me, I suppose, that saved me was I never had hung out in the bars that much because I usually was in the bars after. But, uh, but believe me, I hung out with plenty of guys who was drinking for many years. But, but you know, I, I, I could say today that in all the fights I had with different people here and the arguments in the whole place that I, today, that I could walk out this place here any time and say, hold up my head high and say, look, you're a friend of mine that I have no idea. So that's the one good thing about it. The GA is a tremendous organisation. The going was just a team that was happy here that year was to make this field a better place and make this field a place for it could be. When I came here in '64, I told her even the place was bad, the facilities were bad, but it was a massive meeting place. Now with better facilities inside restaurants and bars and all that stuff, and a good field out here, I was hoping that we would have all that there and we'd have a nice place where we could bring an eighth body into it and say this is the Gaelic Park New York, this is the pitch we want there, this is what we have strive for all our life there and we want people to stand out and others. It's just like Croke Park and you go back to Ireland, you go back to England and you come to the world and you go into Croke Park. You're proud, you're proud to be an Irishman, you're proud to say the Gaelic athletic and non-professional can build this place and we have it here. You know? As someone that is involved within the New York GA myself, I definitely feel John had accomplished his goal before his untimely passing. And I wanted to talk to someone else that felt the same way. So I contacted Lawrence McGraw, the current president of the New York GAA, to hear what he had to say about John's impact on him personally and the New York GAA as a whole. How did you first meet John and what has he meant to you all of these years within the GAA? When did I meet John? I met John probably back, back when I came here in 1986. And um, he, just, he was always a big GA man. 
heard so many things about him over the past couple of days from Joan and a bunch of other people online. Um, why do you think so many people are tweeting and telling stories about him over the past couple of days? What made him have such an impact? Well, Joan was a, a good character, you know. He was like a, one of the best popular or best sports people. He left everything on the face. Whenever, whenever you played Jerry, Joan gave you as much abuse as you could take. And um, after the game, once you walk out, he would be the first man to shake your hand, and that's it. It was left on the field, and that's the kind of person he was. He was a great sports person. He gave 100% on the field, 100% commitment, and um, whenever you were playing Jerry, if you were on the sideline for another team, he would give you all you want. And after the game was over, he'd be the first Sounds like a great sportsman. What were the major changes and in innovations John made to Gaelic Park and within the structure of the New York GAA itself? John, John's been around, uh, I don't know, for many years, and many years. You know, John, um, every, every weekend, John was in Gaelic Park. Every night during the week, John was in Gaelic Park, an hour and a half drive at least from Brooklyn where he lived. And he just gave his life to Gaelic Park, to the GA, to the Gaelic Football. And uh, he just made sure that the Gaelic Football was carried on. He started his team in Brooklyn. He brought them a long way. The team is still going. And, uh, you know, that's John. John was a proud GA man. He never forgot where he came from. And, like, today, the park, the people like John, the park, you wouldn't have Gaelic Park, you wouldn't have been playing Gaelic Football in New York, only for people like John. Mm. How can the members of the New York GA honor the memory of John Reardon? Well, you know, uh, a few months ago uh, we gave him a Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, John very deserved it. That was our second time to give it out. And um, John, John talked up with pride. He was a pride man that night. And he knew he was sick. Probably knew that he didn't have long to go. But, you know... What a character. He got up and made one of the greatest speeches ever. And he thanked everybody. And, you know, John is, um, you know, the past year has been tough on everybody. Seeing him go down so much so quick. But, you know, John took it on his shoulders and that's the way John was. Mm. So this is my last question. Um, what will his legacy be going forward within and without the GAA? You just hope that people pick it up and remember John for what he has done. You know, John John has given people like myself spur to keep the New York GA going in New York. You know, a lot of young people, a lot of older people, a lot of people around my age, you know, looks up to John and, you know, looks up to uh, a few people like John and that's why they got involved and that's why they've got the kids and uh, they kept the GA live and, uh, you know, at the moment, the GA in New York has been, well, has never been better for the likes of John and people like him.
Lawrence's words fully encapsulate all of the tributes that have come in, and I just want to read a few of them right now. Shane Enright on Twitter said, One of the greats of New York and Cary New York GAA. A gentleman who will be sorely missed. R.I.P. John. Gaelic Games commentator Marty Morrissey also commented on Twitter, Ah, no, I'm sorry to hear this. A lovely man originally from Kerry. I didn't know. May he rest in peace. Chris Clark, who is a part of the Irish Voice and covers almost solely the New York GA scene, said, He will survive through the men and women he passed out water and fruit to, and the generations that will come behind him who will pick up the torch so this life will never die. His legacy, his heart, his love, John Reardon will never die. From Joan Henchy, who is the New York GAA secretary as well as the secretary for Kerry Gaelic Football Club. John was a true Gale and will deeply be missed by both Kerry and the New York GAA. Their condolences and memories all over Twitter and Facebook really inspired to tell this story. As so many people had these positive and lasting impressions of John and how much he did not only for the GAA, but for them as an individual. John touched so many people's lives, and I'm sure he would back me up in urging you. If you play or are involved within the GAA in any capacity, show your appreciation to volunteers like John and others on a constant basis, as they are the true lifeblood of Gaelic Games. And if we treated each other like John treated those within the GAA, the world might be a little bit better when we leave, just as John has. Slan.